Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Lauren McClain. What is up, everyone? Our month of baseball continues. And who could think of baseball without craving the food that goes along with it? Hot dogs, peanuts, Cracker Jacks, sunflower seeds, and of course, nachos. We're going to tell you where the orange top chips got their start in baseball parks. After that, we're bringing on former MLB pitcher and current mission president Jeremy Guthrie to talk his favorite major league moment and how he satiates his shoe obsession while in the mission field. He's such a stud. But before we get to any of that, allow me to grace you all with the vocal stylings of Mr. David Phillips Jr. Jr., it's a pleasure having you back on. Oh, love coming on. So much fun. And baseball. Nothing is better. I love baseball. Right. And you do actually have a very good deep radio voice. So congratulations for that. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, Junior, this whole month we've been focusing on the greatness, which is baseball. What makes baseball the sport that you love most? You know, I I don't know if it's from growing up as a kid – Playing it and and being there, um, I'm I'm a big San Francisco Giants fan. Having grown up in the Bay Area, I think the very first game to I went to was an A's game, but I still remember being in Little League and my dad taking me on a Saturday to a uh, Giants game, watching Matt Williams hit a grand slam, and then later that night I hit a grand slam, not like a Little League grand slam. I did hit it over the fence <laughs> and stuff. It was uh, it was a great moment, and it just. Completely fell in love and uh, ever since just been a huge Giants fan, but just a baseball fan in general. Oh my gosh, as a kid, that it like doesn't get better than that, right? You go to a major league baseball game and then you hit a home run? Yeah. That's amazing. Watch watch love- a star do it and do the same thing. No kidding. So so who was your favorite player growing up? You know, uh, it, was, it was a toss-up between Kevin Mitchell and Will Clark. And one of my favorite shirts, and, and actually the anniversary of this is Monday, I believe, of when Kevin Mitchell made the one-handed, barehanded catch in left field against the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. If you ever get a chance, go Google that. Kevin Mitchell, one-handed catch. He catches it with his bare hand. He overruns the ball and reaches back and catches it with his bare hand. It's one of the greatest oh, I love that. catches in all time. But it's, yeah. So I, I would have to say I loved Kevin Mitchell for that, but uh, Will Clark... No one could match that swing, that super sweet, left-handed, smooth swing. It was the swing before Ken Griffey Jr. That is so awesome. My my husband will spend hours on YouTube watching stuff like that, like the MLB's best catches. I'm like, all right, let's do something else, as much as I love this. <laughs> but it, there really is something so fascinating about that, and I, I love that aspect of baseball. But, Junior, I know that you are a food guy. Is that right? Very much so. Very much so. Well, baseball has some unique foods associated with it. What's something you will only eat at sporting events but wouldn't typically eat anywhere else? Last week, Spencer said shelled peanuts at a baseball game. I said a giant maple bar or cougar tail. What would you say? Ooh, this is a tough one. You know, honestly, probably garlic fries. That's something I've I've done. The the Giants Stadium, they're famous for their uh, Gilroy garlic fries. That's something typically that uh, I can't get away with most times. I would say brats. I always every time I go to a, a game, I always have to get a brat. I love brats, and and I don't just restrict them to baseball games. Right. But and peanuts are another one. The shelled peanuts. That's not typically something I've I've bought them in the house, but then they always make a massive mess, and my kids get into them, and then it gets a real big mess. So I can't really have those at <laughs> home. So I'd, I'd probably have to be with Spencer on the shelled peanuts as well. 
Yeah, it is super random. I like that you said garlic fries. Liam, our producer, that that's his favorite too. And I like that you said you you can't usually get away with that. Are we talking indigestion here? Is it the, your uh, wife doesn't like the, it? What the is wife? That? You you have to if you have to get your spouse on board if you're going to do the garlic <laughs> fries or a garlic burger. They have to be with you. You can't you can't just have one person do it. Or else it's a it's a bad time. So, yeah, I I, I kind of have to get her on board if if uh, if we're gonna do that. So, listen, sweetheart, you take a fry, I take a fry. It'll make everybody happy. We'll stink together. It'll be <laughs> we'll unity. And then you probably don't even notice it. Both yeah. of your breath smells like Hey, garlic. both of our breath go. is bad. It's all good. <laughs> Everyone all right, wins. Well, this, exactly. This week I asked fans on Twitter the same question and I got some really good responses. So so here are a few. They said cotton candy, which is true. Yeah. yeah I, when yeah. do you ever randomly go get cotton candy besides the games? No. I actually don't get them at games, but I guess some people do. Yeah. Um, hot dogs. Someone said used to be caffeine-free Diet Coke. And that made me laugh really hard because I said, heaven forbid we drink water. Because I'm a soda lover. I, do you drink soda? Uh, I just muted my mic so I could have a drink of soda just now. <laughs> Well, that answers that. It's, there's something about there's caffeine-free Diet Coke is not good. But when that's no. your only option, you drink caffeine-free Diet Coke. Absolutely. So I, I loved that response. Uh, soft pretzels, mm. a brat tail, which is half brat, half cougar tail. That is something I never experienced. It sounds absolutely terrible. Have you had that? I have never had that, and I'm a little curious. A brat tail. You need to do that, Junior. The next time you go to a game, get a broad tail, all right? All right. And come back on the show and, and report, report how it was. Okay. All right. We got funnel cakes and churros, uh, a barbecue parfait at Miller Park when that actually looked really good. Yeah. Uh, the roasted almond stand, someone said, is right outside their portal at Lavelle Stadium, and they said they will only eat them at BYU football games. Oh. That smell gets me. Oh, my gosh. In a good way. That, yeah, that's, that's one of those smells where you know that you're in a stadium. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it, and and that's such a that's a, such a good response. When else are you going to get roasted almonds? That's when else true. do you even create? When else do you even think about roasted almonds? You don't till you smell that when you walk into a stadium, right? Exactly. Once you smell that, then you got to have them. Uh, Isaac Wood, who's over athletic development at BYU, said Dippin' Dots, incredibly expensive for something so low in value, but for some reason it just feels right in the moment. But I feel like there are a lot that's of true. things like that that you'd completely overpay for. At oh, baseball yeah. games or whatever game you're at, but but oh, it just yeah. feels right in the moment, don't it, you agree? Oh, definitely. Where you know it's one of those times where you're like, yeah, I I, I wouldn't normally get like cotton candy. You'd yeah. never in your right mind be like, you know what, you know what we should have for dessert after Sunday dinner is cotton candy. You never say that, <laughs> you know. But when you're at a baseball game, it just makes sense. And giving it to your kids, it just makes sense at a baseball game. Let's whip some up. I know it's 100 <laughs> percent true. Have you heard of uh, tachos? The, yes. Apparently you get it at Texas Rangers. Yeah, Texas Rangers games. Yes. Tater tot nachos. Yeah. That's something I want to try. Uh, the Colorado Rockies have the tornado. Apparently it's just a bread wrapped around a pole and baked, then covered in cinnamon and sugar. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I love that. I went to a game there and saw that. I didn't get it. But okay. uh, I did see that and was a little bit tempted. Well, next time. Next, next time. time. Toast, toasted grasshoppers at T-Mobile Park. Oh. Have you heard of that, Junior? Yes. So I went and my wife – I brought my wife to a game there and we're trying to get as many parks as possible. And so we went a couple of years ago and we were daring each other what it would take to get the other <laughs> to do it. it. It never happened though. 
Oh, I, I can't believe that was real life. I was like, no, they don't sell toasted, real toasted grasshoppers. They do. That's that's a bet it, thing. If you lose a bet, you got to eat toasted grasshoppers. That's oh what it sounds like. Oh, my gosh. What, what do they do? They go collect. Where do they collect the grasshoppers? I don't even want to know. I don't want to know the backstory. I don't want to know anything about that because it makes me gag to even think about it. And something not to, not much farther down on the gross list, Rocky Mountain Oysters at a Rockies game at Coors Field. Yeah. We, when we went to a game at Coors Field, we, we kind of skipped all that. Didn't even uh, – yeah, didn't go near that. Well, I, as most people should, most people in their right mind. And, and for the, the show's sake, for BYU Radio's sake, we're not going to talk about even what that is. So if you're any, anybody's curious, you know, go you ahead know. and Google that. <laughs> if you know, you know. And I don't want to know, Junior. All right. And we've also had a few nachos. So I'm going to enlighten you on how nachos became a staple at baseball games. All right, Junior? All right. Apparently, the Texas Rangers invented stadium nachos. It actually is a fairly new thing. According to MLB.com, stadiums didn't start selling nachos until 1976. And apparently, nachos had been popular in Texas for a long time, but they didn't serve them at sporting events because nobody had found a way to produce them quickly and cheaply, which you have to do at a ballpark. Then Frank Liberto came in. He created the orange cheese sauce we all know and love today. Well, maybe not all of us. It's cheese with a little added water and leftover juice from jalapenos, which creates the gooey orange consistency that can be easily dispensed from a pump. So this is fascinating. The recipe is such a heavily guarded secret that in 1983, a 29-year-old man was arrested for trying to buy the trade secret. Can you believe that? Holy cow. Well, that, I, That's intense. Yeah. My, my wife, whenever we go to a ballpark, she, she's always got to get the nachos. That's, that's a thing. Yes. And again, it's something usually when you're sitting at home, you're not like, I would really like that gooey orange cheese <laughs> Dripped over some chips right but now. The best part of nachos is all of these shots of people going for home runs or foul balls and hitting <laughs> the nachos and going everywhere. There was so a couple true. days ago, there was a guy who had a nachos and tried to jump over a couple chairs. They're every, it's all over his hair, his face, his clothes. That's, that's probably the best part of nachos at a ballpark. You are 100% right. Why is it always the nachos? Why does the ball always hit the nachos? I love that. Yeah, it doesn't hit like the guy with the hot dog or the guy with the pizza. It's the guy <laughs> with the nachos that go everywhere. That's so true. Well, it, it was good for everyone because it doesn't need to be refrigerated. Refrigerated, It's quick. Uh, so long. So it took off really quickly. Liberto sold the Rangers on his idea. And in its first season at Arlington Stadium, Nachos brought in $800,000 in sales. Holy and for comparison, the previous high seller popcorn brought in $8,000. So people really <laughs> liked their nachos. And then the Dallas Cowboys started selling it next. Howard Cassell hyped them up on Monday Night Football. And then the rest is history. There you go. That's that's how we got nachos, Junior. That's how we got the nacho explosions every time someone tries to catch a home run. Thank you, Texas. We uh we have to thank Texas for a lot of good a lot of good food. Well, Junior, you're incredible for coming on with me. Now I'm really hungry. So Oh yeah. I'm now gonna, it's time to go, go get go. some hot dogs yeah, and nachos. <laughs> that's right, some popcorn. But uh, up next, he pitched in the major league for 13 years and was called as a mission president in Houston, Texas, the year after he retired. Woo! Jeremy Guthrie is coming up on the Cougar Tailgate.
Welcome back to the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Lauren McLean. Former Major League pitcher Jeremy Guthrie gave up a $1 million signing bonus to instead serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Spain. And that obviously didn't hold him back since he played 13 seasons in the league for five different teams. He received a life-changing call just one year after retiring. He's now serving as mission president in the Texas-Houston South Mission. Jeremy, we appreciate you coming on with us despite your extremely busy schedule. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Jeremy, you and I have actually met before. It was in Beaverton, Oregon, on the Nike campus. I was there with Lavelle Edwards and a group of other people. And I think you were there designing a shoe or buying some shoes or something. I, I know you have a shoe obsession. How how does your love of shoes manifest itself as a mission president? <laughs> well, I'm sure I was doing both, by the way. I'm sure I was <laughs> designing and buying shoes all at the same time when we <laughs> met back in, uh, when was that, 2000 and maybe 13 or so? I believe, uh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. But um, I don't. I, I think I traded all my sneakers in for a pair of uh, brown leather shoes and black leather shoes, and so <laughs> I, I don't think I have much shoe game. I don't think when I walk around, people comment or think about my my shoes anymore, which is a good thing. That's what I try to help the missionaries recognize is that we're trying to do everything we can to focus people's attention on our name tag and the name that's on there, and uh, and to our missionary purpose. Right. Definitely not exciting as a new pair of Nikes, but, but it works. It works for the next couple of years. And I hope the missionaries aren't causing too much trouble for you. You don't have to answer that, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's a really stressful job. So, so Jeremy, you were extremely good at basketball and football as well as baseball growing up. Why did you choose to p- pursue baseball at the next level? Um, I really wanted to play football at BYU, but I just wasn't given an opportunity there. There was no no scholarship or recruiting going on for uh, with me, and I, w- I wanted to be a quarterback. So I was going to walk on at BYU. That was my plan. Uh, but once I received a scholarship offer from Coach Pollins um, in the summer before I attended BYU, which was summer of 1997, uh, you know, BYU made the choice for me, and they gave me the opportunity to play baseball that made it very simple for me to make that my choice. Wow, it's amazing how things how things come together. So when and how did your love for baseball begin? I always enjoyed it as a young boy. I played t-ball from as early as I can remember and just really enjoyed playing baseball. I enjoyed throwing the baseball, which is why I was a quarterback and a pitcher growing up. And um, we didn't have a team that we rooted for. I grew up in Ashland, Oregon, which is a small town on the California border. And we were about seven hours from Seattle and six hours from Oakland and San Francisco. So I didn't really root for either of those teams. I really liked the New York Mets and, uh, I think just playing with my friends kind of helped my grow my love and appreciation for the game. Did you have a, a favorite player growing up? I did. I loved Daryl Strawberry. He was uh, one of the first players I ever remembered. I watched the World Series in 1986. I was seven years old, and at that point, the Mets became my favorite team, and Daryl Strawberry became my favorite player. That's awesome. So as we mentioned before, you you had 13 seasons in the MLB. Um, Before that, you played at BYU and at Stanford. You had some incredible moments as a player. Which memory sticks sticks out to you the most? I think my highlights are, I remember going to the College World Series. Um, I think we went two years in a row at Stanford after my mission. And those were exciting times. There's a lot of a lot of games you got to win to get there. And then once you're there, Rosenblatt Stadium or the old Rosenblatt where I played was, I think, probably one of the greatest venues to play baseball that you could ever be blessed to play in. And uh, we were there the same year that Nebraska made their very first appearance. 
uh, in the World Series. So they were the home team, right, the host state. And uh, uh-huh. to see the stadium filled with red and hear them chant, Go Big Red, uh, was exciting. The whole World Series experience is one that, if you're a fan, I definitely recommend it. If you're a player, uh, there's no, no greater opportunity. And then I think mm-hmm. beyond that, um, some highlights are my debut, which was against the White Sox in August of 2004. And um, playing in the, in the World Baseball Classic with Derek Jeter and Chipper Jones, a couple of Hall of Fame players and some other potential Hall of Famers that were on that team, was a big highlight. And then followed by pitching in and winning the World Series with the Royals. Oh, gosh. Yep, those are a lot of very good highlights <laughs> for anybody's career. That's incredible. Is is there a player that sticks out to you that was the hardest to pitch to that you can remember? I did not do particularly well against players like David Ortiz. Um, mm. I always feel like Robinson Cano was, was extremely difficult to pitch to. I, I actually had good success against him until the very, very end. I think his last 10 at-bats, I think he hit three or four home runs off me. Prior to that, I was doing pretty good against him, but um, left-handers were tough for me, and left-handers that could go the other way were really tough. So how did you balance baseball and your faith in that time you had in the major leagues? I heard a comment one time that it's, you know, it's often balance is a tough word to, to focus on because you're always going to be, there's always going to be more time dedicated to something than other, right? So mm-hmm. you could say, how do right. you balance your church calling and your work? And in reality, your work is going to require anywhere between, you know, 30 and 70 hours a week. Right. And your spiritual life and your calling is never going to get that much time. And so they use the term harmony. And uh, they said, you know, how do you find harmony in your life? Harmony between the spiritual and the secular. And uh, I think it was a challenge, most definitely. Um, for me, I, I made very clear decisions at a young age that uh, I knew who I was. I knew that my true purpose in life was to try and prepare to meet God. Um, I saw early on that when I chose God first and His righteousness, that all things were added unto me. And so in terms of choices and, and really trying to focus there, that was I think that was always a constant anchor that kept me close. Um, but within each day, how do you choose to invite the Spirit into your life, and how do you choose to... Um, you know, follow its guidance. That's that's the real harmony that I think uh, at times I did well, other times I did not. But I think most importantly was uh, remembering who I was always seemed to get me on track. If I recognized that people might, that people were watching me and I had a, a great opportunity and a, re, and a responsibility to try and emulate Christ-like attributes, that kept me. And it didn't mean I did it well every time, but it always kept me going back to where I needed to be, I felt like. And that's where I think where I found the harmony or search for the harmony throughout my playing career. Mm, that's really cool. I love that harmony instead of balance. And were you married when you entered the, the major leagues? I was. My wife and I were uh, sealed together in 2001 um, okay. in the Portland, Oregon Temple. And I began my career in 2002. So, you know, we dated at BYU. She got to see my entire career from college all the way to the major leagues. And uh, I think that was really helpful for us because she understood the frustration. She knew the history. There was just a complete understanding between the two of us into the journey. Right. Well, what impact did she and and just having a family have on you uh, during your time in the major leagues? It was always an anchor. Again, I I like to use that word because I I think that the world, um, like, 
just wants to sift you, as we read in in, uh, in Luke. There's always something they're trying to shift you and drift, make you drift a certain way. And so you have to have an anchor that, that ties you closely to what your core values are. And having a family was a, obviously a huge anchor. It was always there for me. Uh, in the good times, it was there. She was there, and the kids were there in the, the tougher times. And above all, it just kept me remembering what my true purpose and and calling in life was, and that it wasn't just about it wasn't about baseball. It was about about God and preparing for our eternal life. Mm, I love that, and I think our families can be an anchor to us, no matter what stage of life we are at, to help to keep us grounded and to uh, just to help us out. So, so Jeremy, what is your what is your favorite thing about baseball? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, a couple attributes about baseball that I think make it unique is there is no, there's no clock. And so, um, you know, you're really forced to execute all the way through the end. I think the principle of enduring to the end, as we learn about the doctrine of Christ, um, you have to endure to the end in baseball because if you don't, because if you don't, it, um, you know, you could lose the game, right? We've seen a number of big comebacks, and in baseball, it's never going to be cut off short by a clock, whereas it might be in football, soccer, basketball, and other sports. So I think that's one of the truly kind of timeless qualities of the sport of baseball is that uh, you got to finish the job. And uh, if you strive to finish the job, you know, one through, there's 25 players on a roster, all 25 guys are there through the end, then you can experience the great joys and the highs of, of winning and, uh, and overcoming. That's an awesome analogy. I love that. How how have the things you learned from baseball helped you in your current calling right now as a mission president? That's a good question. Um, I feel like most of the things that helped me in baseball were learned as I was a missionary. And so in reality, I feel like what I learned as a young full-time missionary in Spain helped me in baseball, which what I learned as a young full-time missionary in Spain is also helping me now, but um, I think maybe the, the one analogy that I do share with missionaries on occasion is just the idea of unity. We were mm-hmm. really well taught uh, in the principle of unity um, the past two conferences, I think by Elder Cook and then by Elder Stevenson this past April. And I saw in, in baseball that when a team of 25 guys and coaches were unified in the right thing, because I think you can have unity in a lot of things, right? You can have unity in having fun and just having a blast and let's just be cool. You can have unity in, in all kinds of things. But in reality, the only true unity is when it's centered in a core purpose. For baseball, it's winning. Right. Or the gospel, it's, you know, it's eternal life and the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think I was on teams, and I was guilty of being a part of this, where the the focus of each player was really disconnected, right? Some guys wanted Mm -hmm. to be famous. Other guys wanted to be all-stars. Some guys wanted a big contract. Some guys really wanted to win. Other guys were just happy to be there. And when you had that kind of disconnected unity, I think what it turned out for me and my career was a lot of losing teams. And then uh, we found ourselves in 2013 uh, with a great leadership core that, just really taught us about being unified and winning. Like we're here to win. We don't have superstars, but we can do it. And when we all put our efforts into winning and there was no more kind of, you know, when, when a guy has a bad game that 
and the team wins that the guy starts to feel bad for himself even though the team wins or vice versa where a guy has a great game and the team loses and the guy is kind of I'm the best and I'm feeling good about things. We celebrated as a team and we kind of suffered and adjusted as a team and I think that's probably the biggest difference. And that's the same with missionary work. You can have a lot of reasons to come on a mission. I came from my parents. I came from myself. I want to learn to get a testimony. I want to do this. I want to do that. I just want to have fun and a cool experience. I want to go visit somewhere different in the world. I want to explore. Uh, if there's not a unity in your purpose, which is to invite and help others come into Christ, I think the mission experience can be really challenging. I think each missionary grows into that, and some of them learn it sooner than others. But I think that's the ultimate joy and ultimate success is finding unity in a core purpose. And that's one lesson I'll take from baseball that I witnessed that I can apply to missionary work really clearly as a mission leader. Mm, I love that. Jeremy, you have an extremely hard job. <laughs> you have a really hard job right now. I, I, I can't even imagine what's it like being a mission president. So you had only been retired for one year before you were called as a mission president. What was that like for you? I was only retired for four months, really, oh, before my I was asked to serve. Um, so I don't know that another six months or another five years would have made a difference if I had to be honest. I don't think I don't <laughs> think they have preparation courses for mission leaders. So um, it was a it was a big a big change. Um, I didn't have opportunities to serve in many callings because of my baseball career, and uh, so I think my just basic kind of understanding of how you know, church, if you lack for a better term, not church government, but how, you know, how things kind of <laughs> are led by the Spirit and led by priesthood keys was, even right. my understanding of that was very minimal. Um, uh -huh. Working with teenagers, I, my oldest my oldest daughter, Avery, was 14 at the time we were called to serve, so I hadn't even had a chance to mess up being a dad with her yet before I got <laughs> to go be with a bunch of 18 to 25-year-olds, and so... Um, I think all of that led to, but I, again, I don't think there's much preparation that really does help you feel ready for it, but I certainly right. was on the short, short end of the stick of preparation. Oh, man. Jeremy Guthrie, former Major League pitcher. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. We know you're so, so busy, so we'll let you get back at it, but thank you so much again for coming on. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for all you all do, and uh, I hope baseball is going well. I don't get a chance to follow it much, but... Um, <laughs> look forward to uh to trying to connect i got one of my sons my son dash is my lone baseball player my son hudson retired last year he's a basketball only player now uh -huh. but, uh, i get to watch uh my young my young <laughs> star dash play and he he really enjoys it so um thank you for for having me on and we uh hope that byu has a great season this year and that we can see some of the the former cougars that are playing professionally keep uh rising up in the ranks that's right. Dash is the perfect name for an athlete, by the way. Well done. <laughs> Thank <laughs> That's you. awesome. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks so much. My pleasure. And that does it for us today. Thanks again to Jeremy Guthrie and David Phillips Jr. for coming on the show with me. You can join the Cougar Tailgate virtually, of course, every Saturday at noon Mountain Time or download, rate, and review our podcast on Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or on BYURadio.org. This is Cougar Tailgate. <laughs>